Always bet on bet. The favorite phrase of a local young woman ready for anything. While confidence in herself has carried her far, a point may soon arrive where it drags her down. Tales of the Void presents A Step Backward. Mom, you know 90% of the reason I visit you is for the food, right? Don't you lie to me, Bethany Vega. You come by because you love your mother. Well, yeah, that's the other 10%. Bethany! My mother yelled out from the kitchen. I looked over and caught Devin shaking his head with a sly smile. My mother had several wonderful traits, but being able to roll with a little banter was not one of them. Dear! My mom called out to Devin from the kitchen. Straightened her out for me! Yeah, Devin responded without missing a beat. I learned early on not to get between you two. I'll just sit back and enjoy the show. True to his word, Devin leaned back in his chair, arms crossed behind his head. He threw a wink in my direction, and I smiled back. Mom and Devin had gotten married while I was deployed overseas, so I got to skip their awkward dating phase and meet him right off the bat as my new stepdad. Though, at the time, my mind was a little preoccupied. They were a good fit, and I got along with him instantly, mostly because he plays along with my teasing and knows how to dish it out almost as well as me. Almost. Dear, my mother said icily as she sauntered out of the kitchen towards him. Her eyes were wide and lips pursed together. He placated her by pulling her face down to his and giving her a kiss on the lips. I let them have their moment while I gathered up the rest of the plates from the table. But as soon as my mother saw what I was doing, she quickly tried to take over. Don't worry about those, dear. I can handle all this. You just sit down and take it easy. She reached for the plates I held in my hand, but I turned my body away and held my ground. I glared at her as I walked to the kitchen. I've got this, mother. Right, honey. Of course you do, she said, not fully meaning it. I just worry about your health. You're my only daughter, you know. I knew she meant well, but I've told her dozens of times not to treat me differently. She acted like losing a leg was the end of the world. She knew I still kept myself in as good of shape as I was on active duty. I took the scrubber to the dishes a little more forcefully than I needed, but it felt good. Devin and Mom came in with a few more dishes. I held my hand out to take them without saying a word and focused on finishing up while she grabbed dessert. Devin filled the coffee maker with fresh grounds and got a pot started. I finished up and squeezed my way out of the kitchen behind Mom as she fussed over the homemade key lime pie she'd made earlier. It was still cool from hours of sitting in the fridge, and the idea of mixing the chilled sweet with a good cup of coffee perked my mood up immediately. The table was set with a carefully chosen set of plates, each adorned with a lime green slice of pie, perfectly cut and placed in the center. Before we sat down, Devin and I let Mom finish up her work. She ran a food blog in her spare time, which meant at more than one point during dinner, we'd have to pause for a minor photo shoot. Devin handed me a cup of coffee while we waited for Mom to find the perfect angle and lighting. After half a dozen photos with her phone, she nodded, satisfied. Okay, I'm all set. You two can eat. 
It's about time, I said, as I sat down and grabbed a fork. I was getting ready to riot. I thought you were supposed to learn patience in the army, Devin said sardonically. I'm a civilian now, Devin. I can demand whatever I want when I want it. Devin rolled his eyes and chuckled, and Mom took the moment to swoop in what she'd clearly been meaning to ask all night. So, Bethany, she started sheepishly as I enjoyed a bite of pie. Have you thought about what we discussed earlier? She tried to make the question sound casual, like asking about the weather. But the way she looked at me showed how desperately she wanted an answer. I caught Devin's gaze shift up to me from his plate, but he was much less expectant. I finished the last bite of pie, as sad as I was to let it go, before I answered. You know, Mom, I paused to great effect. I spent a lot of time thinking about what you said. I know you mentioned that Devin had an opening as a loan officer. Devin nodded his head once while Mom leaned forward expectantly. But I think I'm going to decline the offer, I said sweetly. Mom put her hands up to her face and groaned loudly while Devin chuckled to himself. You can't live off your savings and disability forever, Mom pleaded. You'll need to start working eventually. Why can't you just work with Devin? You're a smart girl. I grabbed everyone's plates and deposited them in the kitchen. I'm pretty frugal, Mom, I said from the other room. And no offense to Devin, but I'd rather lose the rest of my limbs than work in a bank every day. It can be dull at times, but it pays the bills, he said casually. Which I have covered just fine, I replied. I clapped my hands together and looked at the pair. Now, with that lovely conversation out of the way, I'm heading home. I'll see you guys soon. Mom stood up and gave me a hug accompanied with a kiss on the cheek. I responded with the same. You know, I just want to see you succeed, she said as we released each other. I know, Mom, but I'm fine. Just relax. I hugged Devin around his neck and gave him a kiss goodbye. He gave me a hug back. Take care, Bethany. It was nice seeing you. I gave them a final wave before I walked out to my car. It was still pretty early for me, only about eight, so I decided to take the long way home. Devin and Mom lived in suburban bliss, but I was much more attracted to the city lifestyle. They could keep the quiet neighborhoods and picket fences. I needed to live where the action could be right outside my window. I'd been on the road for a few minutes when my work phone buzzed. The cracked flip phone rattled around my cup holder before I could grab it. It didn't have any apps and couldn't access the internet, but its battery lasted days, and in a pinch, it could be thrown away without a second thought. I stopped at a stoplight and looked at the lightly glowing screen. Livermore and Lakewood, quick. The light turned green and I headed toward the location. On a weekday like today, I made the trip in just under 20 minutes. I slowed down as I neared the spot. I noticed some of the people on the sidewalk eye my slow-moving explorer carefully. Some ducked their heads and moved away when they met my gaze. Others kept their eyes glued on me to see what I would do. A hooded figure stepped off the curb and jogged over to my car. I lowered the passenger window enough for him to speak through. I hear the Marines are good, I said without being prompted. Sure, but the Army's better, he responded. With the passphrase given, I unlocked the door. He pulled his hoodie down as he jumped in the passenger seat, and I got a better look at him. His hair was braided in tight rows that blended seamlessly with his skin under the dim streetlight. He had a square jaw and filled out his hoodie nicely. I sized him up quickly, determining the best way to handle him if he tried something. I'd learned early on that with this gig, you could never be too careful. How'd you hear about me? 
I asked as I started to drive. Lips told me about you. Said you was the one to talk to about solving problems. His voice wasn't particularly deep, but it had a rumble to it that gave off a sense of power. Lips does it again. I should send that asshole a Christmas present. He sends so much business my way. I don't know anything about that, he said calmly, but I got stuff I need dealt with tonight. He watched the car behind us intently before it turned down another street. You think you were followed? I asked. Probably not, but I ain't in a trusted mood right now. Me and my guys got hit tonight. Anyone dead? I asked carefully. Nah, we got out all right. One of them took a hit in the arm, but he'll live. Well, that's good, I said relieved. I mean, I'm pretty good, but not bring back the dead good. He let out a small laugh, more as a courtesy than an actual sign he found it funny. So what is it you want from me? I said, getting to the point. I need you to find who came at us. He turned his head towards me for the first time, and I could see him as he took my measure. You don't know? Usually people keep track of their enemies in this business. As I said the words, I regretted them. It wasn't good business to insult first-time clients right off the bat. We got ideas, he said, ignoring the slight. Problem is, we need to know who did this. We ain't got time to hit up every crew we got problems with. On top of that, they snatch a bag I'ma need back, A-S-A-P. It's got my sign on it, no way you can miss it. He pulled on the chain around his neck, and a small golden M wearing a stylized crown at the end came up. So that's what I'm looking for? That's it. You just gotta figure out who hit us, find that bag, and we'll handle the rest. I drove for a few moments as I thought about his plan. It was basic, but the easier the plan, the harder it was to screw up. How much time have I got, I asked. You got till tomorrow. We gotta hit these guys fast, otherwise we're gonna come up like a bunch of bitches on this. Think you can deliver? I nodded. No problem, I can handle that. He clapped his fist into his hand. Glad to hear it. He paused. So how much is this little service about to run me? First time customers get a flat rate discount. 10K on completion. No extra fees or upfront payments, just straight cash. After that, the price changes with the job. He nodded his head a few times. We can swing that. I'll get a stack ready tonight. Let's get started. Where's the car you guys were in? We got a house we use sometimes. You gonna direct me, or do I just have to guess? I wanna get a look at the car. We drove there in silence. He gave directions as we went and pointed out the turns ahead of time. I noticed his hands shake at first, but as we drove on, he began to calm down. By the time we reached the house, he was solid as a rock. As we pulled up, I could see the grass had been allowed to grow long for some time, hiding beer bottles and old McDonald's bags in the weeds. One of the windows was boarded up with plywood but otherwise, it just looked like every other old shithole. Nothing out of the ordinary on a block where half the houses looked vacant. Each house shared this downtrodden look. Yards full of half-broken children's toys, cars up on cinder blocks in the driveway, their hoods left open like they'd been dog-eared and waiting for months. Whose place is this? I asked as we exited the car. It's my cousin's. He wanted to flip the place, but he's busy a lot. I look after it while he's gone. He doesn't care a couple of hoods are using it as a hideout? He left the question to hang in the air. We passed a small rusty gate through the backyard that led to a single car garage. The structure stood alone in the night. A crooked basketball hoop adorned to the front shingle was dented and worn from years of abuse. 
He looked around before lifting the garage door and entering the darkened interior. I stood outside in the open air while he hunted down a light switch. The fluorescent light hummed and flickered before it finally lit up. A large four-door SUV sat inside. Its girl stared at me menacingly, but I ignored the unintended threat. Where's the damage? Over here, he said, pointing to the side he was on. I walked in and inspected the scene of the attack. The rear driver's side door had several bullet holes, each almost an inch wide. The deep blue paint was chipped away, exposing the matte silver beneath it. It stuck out boldly on an otherwise flawless vehicle. I pulled a pair of leather gloves on and opened the door while Monk stood back and let me work. Bits of metal clinked and rolled around inside it. The interior handle had been hit hard and was mangled all to hell. I ignored what was left of the door and looked at the seat, careful not to lean in too far. A small pool of blood stained the leather. It still looked a little wet. Along the floor, I spotted the remains of the metal pellets. Not often you see a white girl hanging around a neighborhood like this, Monk commented from behind me. Half Mexican, I responded automatically. Either way, you out here on your own. Take some balls to roll up to some hood rat in the middle of the night. I felt the SUV move as he leaned against the side. I finished looking around and pulled myself out from inside. Monk's arms were crossed as he looked down on me. Now that we were side by side, I realized just how much larger he was than me. I met his gaze with my own. I wasn't sure if he was trying to intimidate me with his size or not, but his face remained neutral as we stood together. You spend a couple years dodging bullets in the desert, you learn a few things about handling yourself. And your surroundings, I said, breaking the silence first. You fought in the army? Damn, you figured out my secret. You sure you need my help with those detective skills of yours? I smiled and noticed him trying to conceal a smirk with a few nods of his head. Guess it'll take more than a dark garage to intimidate you then. I raised my hand up and put my forefinger and thumb as close as I could get them without touching. Just a bit. Good to know. He stuck his thumb out to the car. You get something? I grabbed one of the deformed pellets from the floor and held it up. It looks like you guys were shot at with some buckshot. I guess double aught, but I can't really be sure with this. I'm surprised there isn't more blood though. This stuff flew through the door, no problem. Whoever was sitting here should have been hamburger. King was sitting back here. He had some fancy PC gaming shit or something between him and the door. It was all fucked up, but King only got clipped. Well, he should go play the lottery because that shot should have killed him. Monk grinned. The way he was screaming after, you'd think he was dying. My mind flashed back to Afghanistan. I took a second before I changed the subject. Okay, I've got to get ahead of this. If these guys are smart, they'll lay low for a while. Where'd it happen? We were driving around Oakland, not sure where exactly. We just stopped for a second when they rolled up in a beat-up pickup and took their shot. One of them must have jumped out during the shooting and grabbed my shit. We didn't know what he grabbed until he was back in the truck. They peeled out and we tried to follow but lost him quick and headed straight back here. Sounds like you were being followed. Or maybe they were waiting for you. I wasn't paying attention. We'll make that mistake twice. Smart move, Monk. I walked out of the garage. Monk closed it up and followed me to my car. So, what's in the bag you're so hot to get back? I figured I wouldn't get an answer. At least not a straight one, but I was curious anyway. Monk shook his head. I wouldn't worry about shit that don't concern you, girl. I didn't push it. I'll get myself out to Oakland tonight and see if I can find anything useful. 
Chances are I won't have anything until tomorrow. Sounds good. He leaned over my car as I slammed the door shut. You got my number. I double-checked my phone and saw it right at the top. Yep. I started my engine to leave, but stuck my head out the window before peeling off. Hey, Mug. When I find these guys, what do you plan to do with them? He eyed the street briefly before leaning down towards my window. We'll do what we gotta do, sweetheart. That going to be a problem for you? If I find out they're just a couple of kids trying to act tough, then yes. If they're actually trouble, they're all yours. Either way, I'm not going to be there to see how it ends. Understand? He nodded. Call me when you got something. He wrapped my roof once with his knuckles and walked toward the house. I pulled out my real phone and quickly mapped out a tour of Oakland City. I did my best to avoid driving on the same street twice and noted all the dead ends. With that all set, I pulled out of Monk's driveway and started my trip. As I drove, I noted every car that followed me for more than a block and watched out for anyone on the sidewalks that could be reporting my location. I recalled back to a number of patrols where a keen eye was just as important as the body armor we wore. Luckily, a white girl in a plain car doesn't exactly scream suspicious person. I drove through the darkened streets until I chanced on what I was looking for. A pair of cop cars with their lights on and sirens muted sat on the corner of Lawton Ave and People Street. I saw a young, uniformed officer standing at the intersection, blocking off entrance to the road. Behind him, a couple other officers were standing around talking to each other. One pointed toward a nearby house with the lights on. I drove up slowly to the officer at the stop sign and lowered my window. I gave him a worried look and touched my hand to my mouth slightly. He walked up with a bored expression, but his interest clearly peaked when he noticed me behind the wheel. Oh goodness, officer, did something happen here? I asked in my most vapid damsel in distress voice. He plastered on a charming smirk and attempted to speak with cool indifference. There was an incident a little while ago, but we got it handled now. Are you sure? I hate to lose my beauty rest worrying about some criminals breaking into my house tonight. I caught him glancing at my chest, then back to my eyes as I spoke. You don't need any more beauty rest with that gorgeous face of yours. You're too kind, I responded sweetly. It would help me feel a lot better if I knew what happened, though. I live just around the corner there. See? I pointed further down the street, and he turned his gaze to follow, likely trying to remember it in hopes of a later rendezvous. He turned back to me, and I watched as he mulled something over in his head, debating what to disclose. I smiled and leaned forward. There was a shooting here earlier, he said. Far as we know, no one was hurt, but we're keeping our eyes out for anything suspicious. Did you notice anything strange around here earlier today? Oh no, I'm sorry, I was at work all day, fitness instructor. I flexed my arm as proof of my job and noticed his slightly startled look at the defined muscles in my arm. Uh, I can see that, he said a little intimidated. Well, we believe the shooter was driving an old Dodge truck that was either light blue or gray. He fished around his pocket and pulled out a business card. If you see anything like that around, give me a call. I plucked the card from his hand and made a show of reading it. My uh, personal number's on the back if you got any other questions for me. I looked at him with a small grin. I'll be sure to call you if I see anything, I promise. With a nod, he stepped away from my car and back to his post. I turned down the road and threw his card out the window once I was out of sight. I had a lead now, which was good, but if these guys had half a brain cell between them, then I didn't stand a chance of finding them tonight. Instead, I drove home to get a few hours sleep before tapping my most trusted source. 
Papa had been jailed for a few years when I got my honorable discharge. He wasn't able to see me in person while I recovered, but he struck a deal with the warden that let him video chat me a few times a month. I never found out what it cost him, but I'd always be grateful. Once I got settled in, I made it a habit to visit him. I didn't show up every week, but I was there a lot. More than anyone else in his life, that's for sure. A few months in, once I was recovered and trying to get back on my feet, he gave me the idea to freelance. He was a career criminal with connections spanning from one end of the city to the next. He made the inroads for me, and I proved my worth. He didn't know it, but I saved some of my money from each job as a commission for him. It'd be a nice release day surprise. I gotten word in to my dad that morning to let him know I was coming, and walked in around early afternoon. He sat alone at one of the tables in the center of the large open room. There was a guard inside with us, and another that looked down at us from above, but otherwise the security inside was relaxed. Papa was never arrested for anything violent. He just wasn't half as good a thief as he thought he was. When the door closed behind me, he looked up from the ground. The smile came quickly after, lifting his thick mustache up with it. His thinning hair was cut short and showed the darkened skin on his head. I told him all the time to let him grow out, but he wouldn't have it. Bonita, he said loudly with his arms outstretched. Papa, I responded just as loudly as we embraced. He always hugged deeply, and the smell of his cologne rose up from his neck and took me back to childhood. We separated and sat down at the table. Mija, como has estado? He asked in flowing Spanish. I've been good, Papa. Are you doing okay? Tan bueno como puedo ser. I took a second to translate in my head. Good to hear, Papa. And I know you hate it, but could you switch to English for me? Ay, he moaned. It hurts me you can't speak the language of your heritage, he said in a thick accent. All these years you've had to learn, and my baby girl had to be a gringa? Abuelita would be devastated. I know, Papa, but whose fault is it that you weren't around to teach me? I asked sweetly. By now, this was a routine part of all our conversations. He swiped his hands at me dismissively. As much as I love teasing you, Papa, I'm actually here for something else. That so? He said with a knowing look. What do you need? I'm looking for a couple guys. They met with some friends of mine, but things didn't go very well. My friends want to see them and clear the air. That's nice of you to do that. You know me, Papa. Always willing to help. Yes, you are very kind, he said with a knowing roll of his eyes. Where did these friends meet? Out in Oakland. Lawton and Peoples. I heard they were driving around in an old pickup truck. My dad leaned back and looked up at the ceiling and thought. I looked around the room and waved at one of the guards while I waited. At last, he pulled himself back toward the table. You're looking for the Montero boys, he said confidently. They're a small-time crew. They like to think they're tough, but they haven't been able to break into anything larger than four-door in all the years they've been around. He put up three fingers as he spoke. There are three together. Angelo's the leader. His cousin Hector works the muscle. He's a big kid, so watch out for him. And there's Enrico. He's a wheel man. Rumor is he doesn't have the stomach for the serious stuff. Do you know where they hang out? I asked expectantly. He shook his head. Afraid not. The one smart thing they do is move around. You gotta ask Benny. Aw, not him, I complained. Benny was an old pervert that recorded everything that happened in his store. He claimed he did it just for security, but I know it was mostly for eyeing women in his off time. Trust me, Bonita, I don't like him much either, but he'll know where they're at. I'd bet another year on it. 
Gambling is illegal, so that could be arranged if you're not ready to leave, I said with a grin. Smartass, he retorted in kind. I stayed and chatted with him for another hour before I had to go. We hugged once more as I left. Bye, Papa. I'll talk to you soon. Adios, Bonita. Stay safe. Why, if it isn't the lovely Bethany, Benny said with a mighty hawk when he saw me walk in. It's always so pleasant to see you. He leered at me for a moment before meeting my eyes. Benny's store was a beat-up old pawn shop. He had the full gambit of crap from lawnmowers and old tube TVs to stolen jewelry and guns too hot to carry. He dipped his greedy toes into all of it, which made the nosy old curve a great source of information. But everything costs something here, even the simple questions. Benny, I said, not bothering to hide my disgust, let's skip the chit-chat and get right to business, shall we? I stood in the center of his shop, next to a shelf full of CDs and DVDs. I could see him clearly as I leaned on his counter, but I knew the shelves were the best spot to block the cameras from getting a full view of me. He frowned once it was obvious I had no intention of stepping forward. Bet, come on now. How are two business associates like ourselves supposed to talk with all this distance between us? He beckoned me with his hand. Come a little closer, sweetheart. We don't want the general public nosing in. I made a show of looking around over the shelves to see if anyone was around, but I already knew the shop was dead. Good thing it's just the two of us then. I'm looking for some people. When he realized I wasn't going to budge, he let his annoyance show for a second before giving in. Okay, hot stuff. You're a tough gal, I get it. Who are they? They're a group of punks that operate out of Oakland. Leader's a guy named Angelo Montero. A little birdie told me they've used you a time or two to fence their shit. He flipped through a magazine as he spoke. Sounds like you're after a dangerous group. A young lady could get hurt getting caught up in something like that. She sure could. And an old sleazebag could get beaten to death in his own store for fucking with the wrong people. The world's full of risky shit, ain't it? Benny nodded his head with a smile. True. Very true. So, let's say I do know something. Why would an old sleazebag like me bother sharing? Here was the hook. I wasn't going to beat around the bush. What do you want, Benny? Oh, you know me, Bet. I hate to ask for much. If you knew you could get the moon, you'd ask for it. Again, he struck me with his smile. You're a clever one, aren't you? But really, for the daughter of an old friend, I won't ask for anything fancy. Let's just say you'll owe me a favor. What kind of favor? I asked, giving him the full force of my glare. He charged forward unperturbed. Well, at the moment I've got everything I need, but I'll let you know when there's something you can help me out with. I'll try to keep it within your womanly sensibilities. Whatever favor you think you'll get me to do, it won't be outside my usual jobs. And on no condition will I let you touch me. Got it? He shrugged. If that's how it's gotta be. A real shame too, he hawked loudly again. A night with me wouldn't be easy to forget. Probably because I would remember it as the night I took an acid bath. On those terms, you've got one year to collect on this favor. Now, what's the address? He reached under his counter, grabbed a piece of paper, and scrawled something down. He held it out to me expectantly. It was too far for me to reach, and he wasn't going to walk it over to me. I moved forward woodenly and grabbed the paper from his hand so quickly a piece stuck between his fingers. 
I checked the note to make sure I still had the info I needed and immediately turned to walk out. Ouch, not even a thank you? I know your mama raised you to have more manners than that. Have a good day, sweetheart. He called after me like we were old friends. Bite me, Benny. Just as I was leaving the door, I heard him respond. If you're lucky, puta. The Montero house was in a neighborhood like Monk's hideout, though the house was in even worse condition. I drove past once to confirm the address was real and spotted the bed of a gray truck peeking out from the backyard of the house. It wasn't definitive proof, but between Benny and my dad, I felt good about my chances. I left the neighborhood behind and drove deeper into the city toward Peachtree Center. Some of my friends made fun of me for liking it there. They were Atlanta natives and thought the area was cut off from the actual life of the city. Whether that was true or not, I didn't know. All I knew was that it had one of my favorite restaurants that never failed to make my day better. Alma Cocina was as busy as ever, with the majority of the seats inside filled and the evening air charged with excitement and potential. I spotted an unoccupied seat at the bar and claimed it before anyone else could. I ordered some food and a light beer and enjoyed my few free moments of the day. One of the men at the bar noticed my solo status and decided to make my night a duet. We spoke for a little bit and shared a few laughs, but after the first drink, I declined his company. I was on the clock and couldn't let myself get sloppy. I let him pay my tab and give me his number, even though I knew I'd never use it. I left before I could get distracted with any more unwanted contact. By the time I walked out of the restaurant, it was nearing six. I grabbed my work phone from my pocket and texted Monk the address, along with a quick message. My phone buzzed as I was getting in my car, and I flipped it open to a short reply from Monk. Okay. At least I knew he read my text. I headed back towards Montero's house and found a spot up the street to park. From there, I could see a light inside, partially hidden behind a set of drawn curtains. I lowered my seat as much as I could without losing sight of the house and waited. Even with a full day between the attack and now, the excitement could still be fresh for guys like them. The feeling of invincibility and the knowledge that they were getting away with it would mean they couldn't lay low for long. I played to that and settled in. I couldn't wait all night, but I had time. Time ticked by slowly as I waited for something to happen. I did my best to keep my mind awake by running different scenarios in my head. The wheels spun in my mind as I tried to track how these guys might think. It helped to kill the time, until about 40 minutes in when I heard a rumble of a truck engine wash over the quiet street. I ducked even lower into my seat as the car pulled out of the driveway. I listened as the engine got quieter and quieter until I couldn't hear anything at all. I stayed down in my seat for another minute before getting up. I texted Monk to let him know they'd left the house and that I was going in to make sure it was the right place, though I was already sure it would be. I stepped out of my car and pulled my gloves on. I listened hard for the truck's engine as I made my way over to the house, doing what I could to keep myself blanketed by the darkness. I made it to the backyard and tried the back door. The handle turned smoothly in my hand. These idiots were so cocky they didn't even lock their back door. My luck was good now, but that could turn at any second. I crept slowly and saw the dimly lit kitchen. I hung in the doorway a moment before entering, closing the door softly behind me. The inside of the house felt stale, like it had not been lived in much. As I tiptoed through the kitchen, I surveyed the counters for anything that might have been monks. The whole surface was covered in trash bags, stacked haphazardly with empty beer bottles leaning against them. If these kids couldn't be bothered to lock their door, they wouldn't bother hiding anything in the trash. I followed the light into the living room. It was cleaner than the kitchen, nearly empty. A single couch and a lazy boy sat in front of a plasma screen TV. 
A new Xbox lay on the ground in front of it, the console's light still on. Leaning against the couch, I spotted a black Mossberg 500. I grabbed the shotgun and held the slide release down. I pumped the forearm and an unused shell popped out onto the ground. I kept going until the gun was empty. I put the empty shotgun back down and grabbed the shells. It was tough to see with the low light, but I spotted a pair of double zeros printed out on the shell. Even in the dark, I knew they were the same ones from Monk's SUV. I grabbed the other two off the floor and pocketed them. I wandered away from the living room deeper into the house. Inside one of the rooms were two mattresses laid out on the ground near each other, with blankets and pillows thrown around, and a pile of clothes in the corner. In the next room over was another bed, but the room had several car radios and a stack of boxes. I pulled one of the boxes off the stack and found it filled with prepackaged phones. Typical. It was then when I saw a little black bag, and my gut told me this was it. I opened it slightly and immediately saw the little gold insignia. Easy as taking candy from a baby. I knew better than to look any further inside, and I pocketed the bag. I started back toward the kitchen to leave. As I walked, I pulled out my burner and stood in the living room typing a quick message to Monk. I just hit send when I heard the kitchen door open. I cursed myself for not paying better attention, but it was too late for should-haves, and I quickly crept up to the entrance of the kitchen. My heartbeat quickened and I felt my breathing start to get more intense, but I stamped the panic down. Had to keep it together. Had to focus. The sounds of their footsteps were interrupted when the back door slammed shut, followed by the rustling of plastic bags. I heard two distinct voices firing off in Spanish. The two voices argued for a few more seconds before they started to get closer. Three on one were not odds I liked, but I would manage. I waited until the first head poked through the entryway before nailing the large man in the face with a haymaker directly into his jaw. He may have been big, but I had the element of surprise, and he stumbled to the side into the living room and out of the way. Before his friend realized what happened, I was already on him. I ran at him and stuck my knee into his stomach as hard as I could. He bowed his body forward, both hands clutching his stomach, and gasped loudly. What the fuck? I grabbed the back of his shirt and shoved him backward into the living room. Luck had it, his friend was already coming up behind me, and I ducked as the two collided against one another in a tangle of arms and legs. I was now fully in the kitchen and spotted the last of the Montero gang. He must have walked in later, but had clearly heard the fighting and was pulling a knife off the counter when I charged him. He held the knife up to take a stab at me, but I kicked forward with my prosthetic foot directly into his groin. In this profession, having a metal leg came in handy more often than you'd think. The knife came down limply as his hands met his crotch. I rushed past him toward the back door. My hand was outstretched, ready to grab the handle and bolt when the shot rang out. Inside the small kitchen, it sounded more like cannon fire. A bullet hole in the door, inches from my head, stared at me as I stood there, suddenly paralyzed. I wanted to move. My brain told me I needed to move. In my mind, I ran out into the cold Atlanta breeze and hopped in my car before anyone could stop me. Images flashed through my head of what I knew I needed to do, but my thoughts tangled with an eerie ringing in my ears the sound of the bullet playing on repeat. My mind raced and I felt myself looking outside my body, saw myself standing in the kitchen, watched as the gritty tile morphed into a dusty, exposed plain of empty desert. I felt my boots crumble beneath me, my entire body muddied by the ground I was suddenly glued to. I kept trying to stand up, to get out, but the harder I struggled, the more I felt my body was not my own. I felt my hands tremble and sweat began to coat my body, heat blanketing my face. My breathing was all over the place now. Control was completely lost. 
I couldn't stop it. Couldn't grab the door only a few feet in front of me. Couldn't stop staring at that hole. I don't think you know how much trouble you're in, Puta, Montero said behind me. I tried to turn my head towards him, but he already had his hand around my throat. His gun pushed against the side of my head. I gasped, suddenly fully aware of the cold metal pressed hard against my burning flesh. My cry seemed to give the man more confidence as he pulled me close against his body, his hand gripped tighter on my throat. I don't believe we've met. I'm Angelo Montero. Me and my boys here, he said, turning me to his companions. The one I'd punched in the face earlier, who must have been Hector by his size, was glaring at me maliciously. We're a big fucking deal around here. Maybe you thought you'd sneak in and rob us. Maybe you wanted to get to know us. He whispered that last part directly into my ear, and I tried to pull away, but he held me in place. Whatever you were trying, you made a mistake coming at us like that. Now, I wouldn't want to have to hurt a pretty little girl like yourself, so I'm sure you'll cooperate with us so I don't have to. He got even closer, and I felt his slimy tongue in my ear. Hector started towards me, and my panic shifted into overdrive. I kicked my legs out furiously, trying to push myself away, but they just flailed in the air uselessly. Don't struggle, puta, Angela said with a laugh. I barely registered his words as I tried to break free. All at once, a massive banging sound came from the living room. Enrico turned his head to the living room, and Hector's smile just as quickly shifted to a frown. Go check that out, Angelo commanded with the gun's barrel still resting against my head. Hector let his gaze linger on me before he turned and took Enrico with him. I heard another bang, followed by the door slamming against the wall. Get your ass on the ground, you motherfucker! One voice, clearly not either of the Monteros, yelled out. What the fuck's going on in there? Angelo yelled out. I felt the pressure from the gun lift slightly. I knew I could reach up and pull his hand into a wrist lock neutralize the gun, and take control. But my hands were still shaking. I wasn't sure I'd be able to grab hold. Luckily, the situation was handled for me. Gun down, Angelo, Monk's calm voice said behind us. Angelo turned to look back, but was stopped by the click of the hammer being pulled back. I won't ask a second time. Angelo growled out a few curses in Spanish, but brought his hands up. Monk snatched the gun from his hand. I separated from Angelo with a gasp, and took some time to catch my breath. Between gasps, I blurted out, their shotgun's empty. Oh, that's so? I heard coming from the living room with obvious mirth. A second later, a loud crack rang out, followed by a thud. Why don't you get in the living room with your boys, Angelo? Me and the lady here have some business to finish with. Monk shoved Angelo and walked him in with the rest of his gang at gunpoint. I heard words being shouted back and forth, but nothing registered. I stayed back in the kitchen and leaned against the counter. My heart was still going like crazy, and I felt the panic battering inside me. It felt like it could burst out any second. Control. I needed control. Just one minute to, hey, bet. You all right? Monk stood in front of me, his gun nowhere to be seen. I slapped on a smile and looked at him, determined not to show how shaken I'd been. Oh, sure. What girl doesn't like it a bit rough? I joked. He just stared down at me with a face that could have been carved in stone. Mm-hmm. He didn't look convinced. My guys have this handled now. You got the bag? I pulled it from my pocket and followed him out of the house. The cool air hit me with a welcome clarity, and I inhaled deeply. I let it out slowly and repeated several more times. Monk stood to the side and waited. We reached my car without speaking, 
Monk reached into his hoodie, and I had a moment of panic from within the car. He pulled a stack of bills out and placed them on the dash. Thanks for tonight, Chica. You did good work. I'll hit you up again if I need something. Yeah, do that. Always bet on bet. He raised an eyebrow at me. I'm still workshopping that. Maybe stick with what you're good at. He let a little smile slip, and I smiled back. All right, stay safe, he said with a look I couldn't quite read. I nodded once, then drove off, leaving him alone in the street. I didn't drive home immediately. Didn't feel like I could. I just drove around the city. The cool air helped bring me back in the moment to take me out of the desert of my mind. Tales of the Void is a collection of stories written by Jake Confletti, performed this week by Yona Isaacs, music and production by Robert Labney. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Until next time.